is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Batter Pod of their own listeners. Welcome to a very special episode of A Pod of Their Own. So this is episode 23. I am Allison McCaig and I am once again joined by my co-hosts Linda Surovich and Maggie Wiggin, but I am also joined by Lindsay Adler and she is our special guest this week. She is a beat writer for The Athletic. She covers the Yankees. You guys know her um, well from her fantastic work for The Athletic and previously elsewhere. Hi, Lindsay. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, So we're actually going to start off with a question that I feel like is normally traditionally toward the end of interviews, but I feel like I want to put this at the top because um, it's something that I really want our listeners to hear and something that I think that we should highlight that's in sort of keeping with the mission of our show. So who are some non-male writers in sports that you're really excited about right now? Um, that's a good question. There's a lot, um, you know, going up to Boston this weekend, I'm always excited to see my colleague, Jen McCaffrey, who I think has a really interesting and creative eye on the Red Sox beat. Um, I mean, really the the thing is I'm very fortunate to be in New York where every day I go to work and it's, me, Christy Ackert, Susan Waldman, and Meredith Morakovitz. So I never feel like I'm alone in any way. Um, you know, I would say I basically get through this industry with the help from my friends, Meg Rowley and Emma Bacellieri, um, who Meg is the managing editor of Fangraphs and Emma is at Sports Illustrated. And I think the three of us with our different uh, editorial inclinations hopefully um, help each other kind of find some, some sort of a middle ground. Um, there's a lot, honestly. It's, I mean, it's a really, a really great, great time. I mean, that's just, 
that's just mentioning, you know, a, a few women, but, um, yeah, I actually, I actually feel like the field is actually headed in a, in a pretty good direction in terms of, um, you know, overall diversity, not just in terms of demographic, but also in background, or at least, at least that would be my hope. <laughs> Well, it's switching gears a little bit for this is a question for you to, about your job. Um, even though you do cover the Yankees, which is, hurts us a little bit. Um, what has been the most fun thing to cover for you this season? Um, hmm, that's a good question. I really, you know, I think it actually was the... Dodgers series last week I guess by now it'll be about two weeks ago um that was you know after watching after watching a lot of Orioles baseball seeing the Yankees face a <laughs> very good and kind of commensurate team it was like oh yeah there is something really you know awesome about you know, what I get to watch every night. And it was fun. And, you know, LA is LA. And it was my first time at Dodger Stadium. And it was actually, it was really, really cool. I think for me, it was really cool. Allison is a backdoor Orioles fan. So she, she, she felt that one a little bit. No, we're all sorry. (laughs) Yeah. It hurt. It hurt me. If it makes you feel better. If it makes you feel better, I think the Orioles are doing the right thing. It's just dreadful in the process. (laughs) Yeah, they're trying. <laughs> They'll Poor get there someday. Hey, I have made my entire I mean, Twitter I- brand identity that trying matters for when it comes to baseball. That has been like the song I'm singing for the last like month and a half. Try all the time. So go Orioles, keep trying. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and I mean, you know, like I have qualms with the idea of like rebuilding and whatnot. But after last season, I mean, what else could the Orioles have done? To me, they did the right thing. They cleaned house and they actually put themselves on a better path toward contention than they were at this point last year. So, you know what? It's ugly, but this is trying. And I agree with you. I am all for, you know, trying is fine with me. <laughs> well, so you, speaking of, um, of trying versus, well, a different kind of trying. So, um, <laughs> so you made a, a lot of, a lot of writers have made this transition over the years, I feel like, but started with the, t- with the Mets, who are, shall we say, a unique team full of all kinds mm-hmm. of creative, um, you know, physical threats to reporters in the locker room, for example. Like, it's really, it's a, it's a heck of a place to work. And then the Yankees, which um, is, they, they seem to actually have their shit together, so... That's really special. Um, and I guess I was wondering, like, how, what does that transition feel like for you? And related, who will we address the petition to to get you back on the Mets beat? Because we want you back. I actually don't think I have the skill set for covering the Mets. <laughs> um, <laughs> no. And that's, that's, that, is, that is somehow not a slight on the Mets. Um, well, when I explain it, maybe it, I, Hear it's okay. Out. We I know. Actually, I actually think I think the Yankees beat is easier 
because at least right now, you know, they're winning. There's everybody across the country says they're a Yankees fan. So there's so much interest in, you know, every person who's on the roster. So it gives, you know, I feel like it gives me a wide range of things to write about. Um, it's definitely, I mean, Yankees fans are actually way more uh, finicky than I had expected because until like a few years ago, I didn't know any actual Yankees fans. And so I figured they were kind of just like, oh, we won. That's great. You're, you know, we win all the time. That's great. No, they, they expect to win every single day. But for the most part, they've had enough success that they can be pretty happy with their team. Whereas the Mets, it's... Uh, it was it was difficult for me last year's playing time because I feel like the Mets you really really have to be invested in the in the day in and the day out and for a wide variety of reasons there's all sorts of non baseball things that come up and it's just I think the Yankees for right now as I'm still kind of getting my feet wet on the on the beat side of things it allows me to just stick to baseball. Just, you know what, why don't I write about this guy's pitch pitch uh, usage because that is the most compelling, you know, one of the most compelling storylines for, versus, you know, over in Queens, I feel like it's, um, I imagine for the people who are on the beat full time, it can feel like it, it might only be a matter of time until something blows up. And I actually don't think I have the uh, chops yet to to really navigate that as well as I would like to. When you say something blows up, does that include the fire from last season? Because I think that was just a regular incendiary event. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I forgot about that. I had also forgotten about the Port St. Lucie fire. Yeah, I think a lot oh, of people yeah. forgot about that, and I just felt like it was maybe time to to unforget about it. To revisit. <laughs> no, I appreciate Where were that. you? I mean, it's it's true. There's there are so many strange events over the course of a Mets season. It's good to have like, I mean, there's probably be like season season end recaps, right? You know, remembering all the things that happened with the Mets this year, and not we'll just have the that. good and the bad, but the truly bizarre. We'll have that. This is like, Avenue, I think. <laughs> I guess it's like doing the recaps for a like for like an AMC prestige drama versus doing the recaps for a literal soap opera. I was going to say, I think that's more of a novel than just your regular recap. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so and it would be yeah. a dinosaur novel. It wouldn't be like, you know, wow, wow, this is so bad. I'm a librarian. I'm planking on author names. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like when you go up to comedian, a uh, comedian, you're like, tell a joke. Yeah, like, go ahead, Linda, say a book. Come on, Linda, Linda say a, a book. book. I don't know, Print and Prejudice, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But, so, Lindsay, what was it like, you know, because you talked about how you don't have the chops. For the record, we disagree. We think you do have the chops, and you pr- you've proven it. I appreciate that. Um, but what was it sort of like having never been a beat writer before to sort of jump right into the like for lack of a better phrase shit show that is the Mets oftentimes and just a quick addition to that also for our listeners who might not have followed the arc of your career if you can also like kind of tell Mm -hmm. what year you started following the Mets so we can all know Mm -hmm. exactly what um 
which shit show that you jumped into. True. We have so many. So I was at um, Deadspin for a few years before being hired by the athletic to kind of float back and forth between Yankees and Mets. Um, so I split them pretty evenly for the first half of the season. And then uh, the Mets, as I'm sure we all remember, were pretty much out of contention by July or so. And so then I was mostly assigned on, on Yankees stuff. Um, you know, it was, it was, it was really weird because I think it was like, maybe on one hand, there was a benefit to coming in when there was a new manager and whatnot, but you know, not being on the beat full time, I don't necessarily know that that made a huge difference, but it was like, you know, what is my place in demonstrating what is going wrong for the mess when I'm not the primary beat writer, I'm not around all the time. This is my first time even doing this type of work. And like, kind of, it was just, it was just like a lot of little feel things. Like I remember there was a series in Toronto in July. I actually got to go to Toronto for like a full week because they had a Mets series and then a Yankees series. So they just sent me for both at once. Um, which was awesome because Toronto rules, but there was something that had gone wrong in one of those games. And I think Mickey had mismanaged a bullpen move or something. And I was like, I think I wrote a story that was like critical of how he was like trying to pretend that like there was no issue there, you know, trying as we've seen Mickey, even as of a couple nights ago, downplay things. And I was like, is this really like, the right tone to be striking and then in retrospect I was like yeah I mean what did it matter at at that point you know I feel like it's just a lot of trying to figure out what is the best way to serve the fans keep a keep a foot in keep a foot in reality and like what do you know how how do I quickly develop a perspective that will help you know shine a light on thanks to the Mets or any other team are making but also you know fairly saying you know it's as much as the Mets often feel and kind of look like a catastrophe it's not all bad they've got a lot of bright lights (laughs) which probably for you guys makes it more frustrating I can imagine am I right about that oh yes yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) in a lot of ways yeah because it's kind of like I, I think that the narrative this season has been, and obviously they're not like technically mathematically eliminated yet. They're playing like games that nominally matter in September. So that's already a step in the right direction. However, I think that the narrative, <laughs> if they miss the playoffs again, will be, you know, we have the presumptive NL rookie of the year, a guy that's contending for the batting title and a, and a guy that's contending for his mm-hmm. second straight Cy Young. And we still are bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah incredible really I mean I guess I guess my question for you guys is like let's say the Mets finish two to three games out of wild card contention will you guys I feel like there's two schools of thought schools of thought you know amongst Mets fans one you know oh no if they 
come close but then fall short. It's just going to demonstrate back to ownership that, well, this was a successful season when, because they're going home at the end of September, it wasn't. And the other would be more, Hey, you know, they kind of gutted it out. They stuck together and they at least were playing meaningful games in September. So I'm, I'm curious where you guys fall on that. Uh, that's actually my main fear is that ownership's going to be like, well, if only, you know, a couple things broke our way, we would have been in the wild card. <laughs> like, if the bullpen wasn't historically bad, like, it can only get better from here, um, then we're going to be right in it. But the problem is they always do half measures. Like, they could have traded for Cano and Diaz, but then they also should have signed Kimbrel or signed Machado. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we're just always going to be stuck in the same repeated cycle of just doing half measures and never truly trying to build a contender for a long time, especially when you have such a good core, like Allison said. Well, I sort mm-hmm. of, I, I, I'm probably one of the more, I'm going to say optimistic, because that's definitely not how I would characterize my relationship <laughs> with the Mets. Because um, I think the Mets are, you know, emblematic of just, everything that's wrong with today's society, hashtag eat Arby's. But um, I do sort of feel like what we're seeing while the Mets are always kind of their own weird, terrible selves, it's, it's not an unusual kind of finish for a team that has in the near past been bad, legitimately bad, and is making boldish steps towards being less bad. Um, And that is a season that's kind of like, okay. And I guess it's, you know, I think the Mets have been so up and down their whole existence and certainly this season that it's hard to not get attached to the really good and the really bad to kind of live that whole roller coaster existence. But I do sort of feel like this is looking like a season that doesn't really call for, you know, amazing, brilliant happiness or absolute traumatic misery. Like that it really is a season where you can be like, okay, well, some things are starting to work well for them. They are significantly better than they were last year. Like quite last year was quite bad. Mm -hmm. Um, And that they're like almost everything that was good about this season will still be there next season. Like that's, that's the other Mm -hmm. thing that makes me kind of feel like this is not, um, I think in a lot of ways, it's almost like, 2015 minus the absolute gangbuster addition at the deadline. And that's not, you know, to nothing against Marcus Stroman, but like Ioannis Cespedes came here in 2015 and, you know, hit the world and like propelled the team all the way to the World Series. And, you know, there was just no everyday force that appeared like that for the Mets this year. Um, And 2015 was also a year where it was kind of, they were better earlier than we thought they were going to be. And then it was wonderful when they were, but then it petered out really quickly and left us back to this feeling of like, well, either the Mets are going to go to the world series or they're going to be the worst team ever. And we don't really know how to cope in between there. So my incredibly long witted way (laughs) of going about saying is that like, I think it's a team that's taking steps forward in a way that's actually not all that unusual around the league. Like this is maybe where the brewers were a few years ago. And like, yeah, you'd like to see the Mets run, you know, a little more richly than the brewers. I don't know. But, um, I don't think there's a lot to be ashamed about. I mean, <laughs> like chair throwing aside, I don't think there's a lot to be ashamed about 
for the Mets for this season. I think like there's reason to feel good about next season. And it's been a long time since that was the case. Yeah, I never thought I would find myself being accused of being a, an, a front office apologist like I have in the past like <laughs> week or so. Um, but I found myself strangely on the other side of the argument, which is very new for me because obviously, you know, us Mets fans are used to being pretty cynical and pretty critical of the front office and of ownership. But I, what I do think this all goes back to is the concept of, you know, trying is good. And I think mm-hmm. that the approach at the deadline of going for it and getting Stroman is good for the game as a whole. And it made me excited that my team, even if it confused the heck out of people at the time, um, was a force for a more positive change in the game where more teams are going for it and trying instead of just waving the white flag and giving up. So I was kind of actually weirdly proud of that. Um, and so I, I was an advocate for doing that, which, you know, people on Twitter called me a front office apologist for that because the Mets weren't, you know, tearing it all down and admitting. Yeah, right. Bootlicker, jeez. Bootlicker. Um, The Mets weren't tearing it all down and admitting failure and, you know, folding it. Like, I just, trying is good. I like that the Mets saw, saw this core and thought, well, we may have screwed up the off season, but we're still going to try. And I think that, as bad as the will ponds are in almost every facet of everything in owning a team, the one thing that I will never admonish them for is the fact that I actually do think that they want to win and they have no desire they're just, to tank. They're just bad at it. They're just yeah. bad at it. Yeah. Well, and I also yeah. think like the idea that the, that the Mets should be tearing it down right now is absolutely ludicrous. ludicrous. And if they have the collection of young talent that they do, including you know including some players who are who are going to be gone in 2 years but like if they have that level of talent and they are selling it off then then they then contract the Mets forever because that is that is absolute bullshit so that is you know I will you could go back and forth on what kind of moves they should be making but the idea that they should tear this down is crazy and even if they did that even if they sold off everybody for all the best prospects like a best case scenario is they get back to this place with those prospects. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. And I think, I mean, I think I, I do think it's a really interesting season because yeah, if the Mets finish a couple games out of it, what we're going to remember from this year is, you know, five, five years down the line. Well, I don't know what you guys are going to remember because Mets fans seem to have the best memories on earth for, you know, uh, injustices against them. Understandably. I could map out Luis Castillo's dropped pop-up in Yankee stadium. (laughs) I could map it on a, on like a chart of the infield right now. I won't though. Yeah. For, from, for me in, in five years, I'll probably remember a team that, most likely finished above 500, had Pete Alonzo, had Jacob DeGrom. Um, yes, I'm. it's going to take me a long time to forget that uh, walk-off loss the other night. But also, you know, this is a team that didn't look like they were going anywhere earlier in the year, and they actually didn't quit on themselves they didn't quit on Mickey they didn't quit on the front office like 
they kept going. And I think ultimately, like, I wouldn't be surprised if this Mets team, if, if unsuccessful for the goal every team should be striving for, even if unsuccessful, I mean, I think they'll be remembered favorably. Or at least I would hope so. There's been enough bright spots. And I mean, I imagine that's a pretty weird position for you guys to be in where at least in recent years, the Mets have been kind of boom or bust and there hasn't been a, you know, well, we gave it a darn effort, you know, and we came up short, but, you know, we, we respected the purity of the process of playing it out type of season. And it's, it's interesting. I, I, I really, a few, a few months ago, I wouldn't have expected them to be in this position. Yeah, I was at the first game against the Nationals, I think the beginning of August. I think it was August. Yeah, August 9th it was. And it was the game when Frazier hit the the home run off Doodle at all and then Conforto walked it off. And oh the stadium Yeah, the stadium was electric. Stroman was electric because that was his first home start. The crowd was just insane from the first pitch. And you could kind of see the relationship between the players and the crowd and how they fed off of it. And I'm thankful that that happened. Like that wasn't, I haven't had that experience in the stadium for so long and how much fun it really was. And the, the playoff like atmosphere. And so, you know, they might fall short. I'm preparing myself for them (laughs) to fall short, but you know what? I'm still thankful that they did go on that run because like we said, they tried and they didn't give up. And that's what more can you ask for as a baseball fan, really? But my yeah, question. Yeah, no rooting interest. Oh, sorry. Yeah. That, no, 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 go ahead. That was a very entertaining game. I wonder if it's actually the spiritual analog to the walk-off loss the other night. It kind of was. <laughs> yeah. Go. Yeah, right? I mean, it's so deep. But both sides have, have dealt with the, like, you know. <laughs> crushing walk-off loss. Well, there's this, uh, I'm on vacation currently uh, down the Jersey Shore, and there's this roller coaster that, like, there's just this, it's a drop, like, straight down. So I can only imagine, like, that's, like, I can't think of a better analogy of what the season is. Like, you're exhilarated, you're high, then you fall down, and then you're also completely nauseous and at your lowest point. Like feeling sick. Like, <laughs> well, and Lindsay, you also have to understand that walk-off loss. That was our recording night. Yeah. So while we were recording, Ooh. everything was great, and then we we finished Ooh. recording, and it ju- it only got better from there, and then it stopped, and yeah. it was like, and of course, so that happened before the episode dropped, so we had this oh, no. like we had Happy. this episode that was like. Like eighty five percent irrelevant at this point. Yeah, but it was. Um, <laughs> but who? Well, you got to drop it. It's it's going. It's out there. So um, so that was sort of the background to this loss. Was just that it like <laughs> it straddled our recording schedule so perfectly. Yep, it's incredible. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So we were talking a little bit about, you know, this core the Mets have. Um, Do you think it could compare to the Yankees core that they have? Do you think that's something the Mets should aspire to? Like, because the Yankees do have, you know, their sluggers, and I think Alonzo holds up pretty well against them, maybe even a little better. Um, but do you think they're comparable or, or yeah, just your thoughts on that? Hmm. I don't know. It's, it's hard for me to compare, probably, because I've watched the Yankees so up close and honestly watch a lot of Mets baseball, too. But I think, you know, like you said, like ownership with the Mets makes mistakes, but they do care. And I think, you know, I think, I think the way the Yankees approach their quote unquote rebuild is actually a pretty good model for most teams in the league. You know, the Yankees are in the position where they can just eat Jacoby Ellsbury's you know, enormous salary if he doesn't play for two years. And so obviously there's a lot of, you know, and it's, it's not like their, it's not like their payroll is insignificant this year. It's very, very high, but like, I think there is a a good guide for, for how teams with um, less financial flexibility can go about it. And having Pete, for the foreseeable future and having, you know, Jacob deGrom, you know, locked up in a, in a more fair deal. Yeah. I, I think, I think there is a good chance that this is, you know, part of the Mets core that we could see, you know, really contending sooner rather than later. Do I, you know, do I think that maybe Mickey is, the manager for that I don't really know <laughs> I don't I don't really know that he still quite understands this market um, but in terms of in terms of the players and I, I guess really the the thing that the Brody and Omar and you know all those hopefully uh, useful new front office additions to the team you know they just they just got to build the farm system and obviously that took a significant hit with the Cano trade but um or at least a a notable hit maybe not significant um across the spectrum but one we'll be thinking about for a while but I I I I wouldn't be surprised seeing this a team that looks fairly similar to this with a better bullpen and some more productive veteran pieces, you know, taking off eventually or soon enough. Maggie, you literally no, said that. Me at all. Yeah. Oh, it could. I, I think it, it feels like a, like a good framework. 
But um, Lindsay, you actually mentioned something, um, you mentioned the farm system. And that's something I'm always so, you know, as someone pretty outside, like the, the, the Yankees conversations, you know, the Yankees mm-hmm. are a team. They're, they're always, they're always really good. Almost always very, very good. Um, and they have a really solid farm system and they seem to always be churning out really quality prospects and have like 10 more waiting. And like, what, what do they do? How do they, you know, given how MLB, you know, draft rules are structured, like what's, what's their secret to getting to having so much talent in the minors while still competing at the highest level in the majors? Like, can, can the Mets do it too? Like, what's the secret? (laughs) Part of, you know, part of it is that the Yankees are just a very, very, very smart team and they have a huge baseball operations and player development departments and they can provide all sorts of resources for these guys. And, you know, one thing, there's so many things about baseball financials that I wish I could know just to, you know, understand how it looks throughout the league. And so I don't actually know if any team really is different from the Yankees in this regard, but the Yankees have the luxury of being able to take flyers on, you know, say international signings and just invest heavily, heavily, heavily in player development. And my understanding is that they are very good at this point at kind of keeping I guess the nerdy way to put it would be a a vertical integration throughout their entire system. Um, You know, the the major league hitting coaches work well with the minor league hitting coaches. And I think that's contributed to some of the success they've seen from some of the kind of, you know, as they call themselves, next men up. I, if I knew, I would love to tell you, but seriously, every time someone like, Mike Ford has a big game. I'm like, okay, seriously, what the hell? But I I'll think say, the thing that people, <laughs> yeah. it's, I am, I am as shocked as everyone else. But I think the thing people don't see, and I didn't see until I was close up, is just the amount of depth they have in a way that it's like, you know, they wanted some international signing money or they, you know, felt like, for whatever reason, they dealt a triple-A first baseman to the Royals where he immediately got called up despite having probably no real future in the Yankees org. And so they're, you know, through their their depth in, in the minors and especially because I think the Yankees have a pretty good reputation in terms of, you know, uh, talent acquisition and player development, maybe not as much when it comes to pitchers but um I think they're really able to do a lot with some of the some of the hidden pieces that people who don't follow the Yankees all that closely or even some who do you know I I think there's a lot of things that just really add up for them and I'm not sure if that's a you know financial resourcing I don't necessarily know what the thorough line is in is with that but yeah, depth, depth, depth has bailed them out this year. And really, I can see now from my p- position how well it sets them up 
in the future. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, speaking of being in your position, <laughs> I'm going to change gears a little bit um, and ask you about um, social media because um, another big theme on this podcast that we've talked about in the past is online harassment and people just being generally assholes <laughs> on Twitter. Um, so how do you deal with mm-hmm. people being trash on Twitter? <laughs> you know, I don't have that many people... Well, I approach it in a lot of different ways. One, I mostly vent to my friends privately. Two, I have it set up so that on my phone, it only shows me notifications from people I follow. So I only see my full notifications on TweetDeck during games. Um, You know, people aren't that shitty to me at this point. People have been in the past, and I'm sure there's a lot that I don't see. But the only real thing that's been a big adjustment this year is that people just are really crabby when the team's having a bad loss or something like that. And so figuring out, okay, no, everyone's really sensitive and will jump on any small mistake I make. But um, mostly I just try to like, it, it gets really overwhelming because even if it's people tweeting positive things that some Yankees hitter has done or whatever, it's just like a, a high volume of other people's thoughts on baseball. And yeah. yeah, I really try to take any opportunity I can to do something where I won't be able to look at the internet. I've really, this year, I think I kind of got to a point where I'm like, okay, you know, this, this isn't, you know, engaging with people who are rude to me or are rude in general is not actually doing anything to make me more productive or smarter or whatever. And so if I'm baking, I can't be looking at stupid memes. If I'm reading a book, then I'm hopefully learning about something other than, you know, what's going on in a random red pirates game. (laughs) You know, just just things like that. I'm really trying to say from, you know, kind of all sides of social media, like, you know, I don't need this so much. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And do you feel that um, that like players in the clubhouse are like more accepting than fans. I mean, I know that you mentioned that you you're really lucky to be on the Yankees beat because you're around Susan Waldman and others that have like trailblazed, um, Mm -hmm. you know, in this area. Do you you think that the environment in the clubhouse is getting better, especially for women? And like, do you think, how does that compare to how, like how the, how you interact with the fans? Like are the players more accepting than they used to be? You know, I think, I think, actually, I have a story for you guys. I was, yes. last year, I said something to Todd Frazier because I think he had posted a cute Instagram video of his daughter or something like that. And I was like, oh, you know, your your daughter's funny or I liked her outfit or I don't know, something. And he was like, oh, thanks. You know, she really, you know, she, she wants to come in here and hang out, you know, with, with me and my teammates, but they don't let ladies. And then he stopped himself and he's like, little ladies in here. And I was like, <laughs> that's not better, Todd. Oh. That is, no, I was like, that is no. accidentally 
the best thing you could say to me. You just see me as any, you know, annoying reporter, regardless of gender. You didn't even think about that when saying that. And that's really kind of all I want. I think players are not often too keen to deal with us. And that's kind of the perspective I have is if you find me, you can take issue with me for actions I do and you can just not really want to deal with me because I'm a reporter, but don't make it about my gender. And really, I kind of think that's what it is. I mean, I'm never really going to know, but no, no one's like, no one's shitty to me. Um, People on there treat me with respect. Um, I think this year it's as we've gotten to know each other a lot more than, than last year, they kind of have a better sense of what I'm about and that I'm not trying to trap them as much. And so I don't know. I mean, if there is a big gender component in the clubhouse, I don't really have the, um, I have the proper knowledge of it with, um, with fans, I think, Again, I don't know if this is a Yankees thing because they're having a great season or what, but like they're pretty much just happy to learn anything about their team from anyone. <laughs> so, you know, as as long as to them, I am a conduit to finding out, you know, if, if Aaron Judge did something nice or clever or if he, you know, made a really nice play. Um, I don't think most of them care, or at least I hope not. And I think there's enough people who care so much about the baseball that if someone says something shitty and sexist to me, a lot of Yankees fans would be like, bro, she tells us what Tommy Camley's wearing. Back the fuck off. So <laughs> <laughs> kind of yeah, a fortunate dynamic. Right. Yeah. Where I'm just like, you know what? Just uh, as, as long as you just want to use me to learn about your favorite players, then there's probably not many problems here. Well, that's, Okay, that's comforting to hear. Um, I'm going to switch gears again a little bit. Uh, You mentioned you read, and we love reading. We're very bookish here, and as I said, I'm a librarian. So is there anything interesting you're reading now? Um, So a mistake I made last year was not doing enough that wasn't work-related, And so in spring, I decided I needed to find a new creative pursuit. And so now I am into art, despite not actually understanding art. So I've been working on a big, long biography of Van Gogh that's really fascinating. Um, And it's, like, really frustrating because he, like, truly sucked. Like, we all know Van Gogh sucked, but, like, it's, like, tedious to read how much he sucked. (laughs) (laughs) So I've... I've mostly been sticking with like art books or art biographies and stuff this year. And I think it's reading a super long book during the season. Um, you know, I'm like, yeah, I want to do this as an accomplishment. So it makes it easier to read, but also I'm like, damn, I'm trying to read a really long book. And like the most important part of the season, am I nuts? So I interest you in this pamphlet. It is (laughs) two sides. Yeah, basically basically I'm like I don't know anything about this dude but I like his colors and now I'm kind of realizing like actually maybe I maybe I should have started like you know 
with a biography of Monet, where maybe the correlation between between his persona and his art was maybe a little bit more direct. But yeah, that's basically been what I'm doing. I'm I was very happy to learn that new Yankees reliever Corey Guerin is actually a big book guy and he dreams of one day aspiring infinite jest, but is intimidated by the footnotes. So I'm like, hell yeah, I got my people. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That's the reason Um, I haven't read infinite jest is because I was like, I hate books with too many footnotes (laughs) in them that aren't nonfiction. So my husband actually did read infinite jest. He is to my knowledge, the only living American who has actually read the book. And (laughs) fellow Mason Avenue writer, Michael has read infinite jest oh michael Hmm. we have two um but also david said it wasn't worth it (laughs) now i don't know if he's saying that just really he can just so that he can maintain status as the only living american who has read infinite jest it would it would be a very Mm -hmm. sly move um but yeah so that is straight from the horse's mouth it's fine not great interesting I've heard that once you get past the first hundred pages, you start cruising, but I just get so upset about his vocabulary that I'm like, fuck, how am I ever going to learn all these words? And so then I just stop. (laughs) (laughs) I can't do it. It makes me too insecure. I'm like, how did this crazy man pack all of this knowledge into his brain? What is wrong with me? I need to go sit by a pond and think about my life. (laughs) Which is a little bit dramatic, but... That is how I am. That sounds like really more of an off-season read. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, true. Have any of you guys finished Power Broker? No. Nope. Is that worth it? I'm blanking out on what book that even is. I'm like, I know the name. What is that book? It's um, Robert Caro's book about, um, holy shit, why can't I remember his name (laughs) now? We are all baseball people Robert on an Moses. off day, Robert and Moses. we are yeah. partially, partially you know, present a, at this point. But yeah, just a New York uh, centric podcast where I can't remember Robert Moses's name. But no, I'm actually kind of thinking about giving that one a shot because I read robert carroll's book on writing and he kind of talks about why he was interested in some stuff about like the creation of the you know fdr and then i've taken the fdr a couple times since and i'm like huh maybe i should read the power broker and then the other side of my brain is like no what are you doing that book is like 1400 pages (laughs) that's a lot of pages so if anyone wants to off-season book club it with me i could really use some support um that was literally one of our (laughs) <laughs> for the off season was a book club. Okay, cool. So you're with your people. Um, I don't know if that will necessarily be one of our picks, but maybe. Yeah, maybe you guys have some more reasonable ideas than I do, where I'm like, oh, 900 pages, 1,400 pages? I guess this is what I should do. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll loop you oh, in. Um, so oh, my, my last question, because we can't miss this one, is we love Fisher, and tell all of our listeners about Fisher and how he's the best. Okay, Fisher's weird because he, like, actually has a personality, and I don't really understand it. I I actually would like to see, like, a 
somewhere between a psychologist and a dog behaviorist so that they could tell me if I'm projecting a personality onto Fisher or if he actually has one. <laughs> um, I, I actually have no idea, but he's, he's pretty good. Um, he can kind of tell that I'm packing to leave for another road trip. And so he looks not happy with me, mm-hmm. but I was kind of in a bad mood today. And then he's like, he kind of looks like he might be an emotional support dog, but really he's like, Oh, you're sad. Maybe you should try rubbing my belly bitch. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> great. Thanks. I'm, I'm glad that I do everything for you just for you to like, not give a shit that I'm crying over queer eye or whatever. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> like like a little emotional vampire. Yeah. What, what's wrong with her? Why isn't she just throwing my toy? But, um, mostly he's a good boy. Doesn't, he doesn't embarrass me too often and he's nice and literally always around just staring at me if I need company like <laughs> in a one-bedroom apartment I can't I can't get away from him just staring at me because he's a dog so he can't watch tv so he has nothing else to do I guess which was not actually something I realized before getting a dog was that he was just gonna stare at me so um that's basically the Fisher experience <laughs> They do stare at you a lot. I am I am his emotional support animal. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> what kind of breed is he? He's a Japanese Spitz and Pomeranian. <laughs> Crying over queer well, eyes yeah. is definitely also a mood because not gonna lie, that's yeah. happened to me even recently. So I was gonna say like today. <laughs> yeah, like maybe today. Yeah, this season didn't get me as badly, but I can't remember. There was one of them. It might have been the sports liker guy where I was like, oh, this is really sad. Wasn't as emotional for me as the other ones, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, so instead of crying, what we're going to do is we're going to take a short break. <laughs> and when we get back, we will do, as we always do, walk-off wins, where each of us talks about what's making us happy this week, baseball-related or otherwise. And Lindsay will give us her walk-off win after we give ours to show her how, how to show her the ropes on walk-off wins. So stay tuned. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this: for the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com/easy. ramp.com/easy. r a m p.com/easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC Terms and Conditions apply. Okay, round 2. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we are back. Um, as I said, it is time for walk-off wins, where each of us talks about what is making us happy this week. Maggie, what is your walk-off win for this week? So my walk-off win is that today was Tommy's first day of kindergarten. Um, I won't, I won't say like, oh, it went perfectly well because. That would be a lie, and I don't believe in lying to my listeners. Um, but it went really well, and he was so excited to be there. And like, once he was actually there and in his classroom, he was having a wonderful time. He also, like he ran the whole way. Like our school is now walking distance from our apartment, so that is aces. Um, and he just ran the whole way, and it was just. You know, it was really, um, it was really sweet. And the school is, he's in such a good school. Um, and like, it's really, it's really well suited for like his learning needs. And it's, it's just wonderful. And I'm so proud of him and yay, Tommy, way to go. So that's, um, that's my walk off win is kindergarten is great. Yay, Tommy, first day of school. Yeah, that's a big deal. Yay, Maggie. So, Linda, what is your walk-off win for this week? Um, mine is Pete Alonzo, just because. Uh, <laughs> well, because the two articles came out today, one by The Athletic and um, one by Sports Illustrated. Um, there were two profiles on Pete that came out today. And he just loves baseball. Like They're, they're such good reads. Everybody <laughs> should go read them. Um, and, he like, I never thought we would have another David Wright because um, he was just so rare and so special and so unique. But I feel like Pete can maybe not achieve that level, but he might be the one who comes closest um, because of his work ethic, his confidence, um, his relationship with the fans. Um, he's just fun. And it's nice to have another fun player who genuinely loves the game and has fun playing the game and remembers it's a child's game, like showing emotion on the field, celebrating home runs, bat flipping. Like I'm, I just, I'm thankful that he's a New York Met and, um, you know, he, like I said, he might not be David Wright, but it's nice knowing we might have another cornerstone piece for the foreseeable pe- for the foreseeable future. It's awesome. Pete Alonso is so good. And th- those articles are both so good. Like, they, they have are. classic lines. <laughs> like, there's one that's like, he just wants to play Led Zeppelin and hit giant dingers. And I'm like, oh, my God, I, as if I couldn't love you more. And then there's the one, one that's like, he could eat a baseball. If yes! He- <laughs> that's the one that got me. If baseballs were edible, he would eat one. <laughs> I was like, that's what? Right there I with the one, that's right up there with the one on the ringer earlier this season where they said he looked like he could... Um, play a log cabin on a children's TV show on his off days. It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Um, so speaking of players that exude joy playing the game, my walk-off win this week is Robinson Cano. Um, he is 
I don't care what the haters say about the trade. I will never apologize for being a Robinson Cano stan. I absolutely will not. I love him. <laughs> and he is finally back. He's Superman. He tore a hamstring in theory and he's playing, which nobody expected. And in his first day back, he went three for three with a walk, had two RBIs and scored two runs. And this was right after the absolute hell disaster walk-off loss game brought us right back up again buying in again as always uh <laughs> only to be heartbroken later um but I'm just really happy to see Robinson Cano playing again because I think that these last few weeks even if the Mets fall short of the playoffs one of like my wish list beyond like the Mets making the playoffs number one is seeing Robinson Cano have a solid three weeks because he's on the team for the next four years whether you like the trade or not <laughs> and seeing him perform is going to be really awesome. And I believe that he will. And I believe that it will make me optimistic about his future on the Mets. So I'm really pumped that he already looks like he's hitting his stride again, despite um, the torn hamstring and coming back early from it and looking so good. So that's my walk-off win. Lindsay, what is your walk-off win? Um, mine is less inspiring, uh, <laughs> but there was a pair of Kyrie fours that he that came out, uh, I think it was maybe this time last year. I can't remember. I don't know. Uh, that said that were teal and they had the basketball on the back tab turned into a Venus symbol. And it said, and you know, all over the shoes, it said power is female. Ooh. And despite Kyrie being a flat earther and despite them not making the powers female shoes in women's sizes, I was still like, oh hmm. yeah, it has hmm. a Venus symbol. And I'd been That's thinking amazing. about buying them. And then, but I hadn't done it because I would have had to buy them secondhand and they were inexpensive. And like, I'm not a person who wears like actual basketball shoes, but um, I was in LA and the team had gone up to Seattle and I had stayed back for a couple of days and John um, and I were walking and we were walking down sunset and his best friend from high school turned into the parking lot at the crossroads, which I hadn't planned on going in. And she was like, Oh, Hey, come in with me. And we went in and I found the Kyrie powers females in my size for 35 bucks. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of thing like I would dream crazy. about. I would dream about finding mm -hmm. my 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 like mm -hmm. perfect shoes in my size for $35. Ah, love it. That reminds yeah, me very much of an experience I had. Um I think it was like springtime this year. It was like maybe like March-ish this year. I was like walking down the street um it was like in the I I still lived in Baltimore at the time. I no longer do. But um I was walking down the street in like, you know, an area with like lots of um, shops, like one after the other after the other. Um, and I was going to a very specific shop because I wanted to buy my friend a birthday gift. So I was like on a mission, knew exactly what I wanted. And I walked by a store window and it had this dress just like hanging in the window it was a long sleeve sweater dress covered in sloths. And I was like, what and I had like one of those like moments you see in a movie where I like walked by the window stopped walked backwards and like stared in the window and like immediately went inside and it's still like one of my favorite dresses that I own I was like oh my goodness <laughs> so awesome love those moments like that um 
So Lindsay, just to wrap things up, um, where can our listeners find you on the interwebs? Um, you can find me at twitter.com slash Lindsay Adler. And you can also find me at The Athletic. If you go to theathletic.com slash NYC, you will find the Pete Alonzo story that uh, deservedly was spoken so highly of, and then also the stuff I write about the Yankees. So <laughs> that is, that is my selling point. Maybe it's, maybe that's not the best pitch I've ever made, but um, <laughs> yeah, I exist. You all should check out Lindsay's work. She's fantastic. Um, I read her Yankee stuff, which goes to show how much I love her writing because I never thought I would read anything about the Yankees, but I do because Lindsay writes it. (laughs) Um, So that does it for our show this week. Um, You guys got two shows this week. Spoiled, spoiled. Next week, it'll be back to one show, we promise. (laughs) Um, But in the meantime, you can go to AmazingAvenue.com to get all of your Mets-related content. You should especially go there right now because we have a fundraiser update for you so go to amazingavenue.com find information about our dollars for dingers fundraiser dollars for dingers fundraiser um, about our mckeller event at the end of the month go find the details there also obviously all of our game recaps morning news posts analysis other mets content Um, you can find amazing avenue on all the social medias facebook twitter and instagram at amazing avenue you can find me on twitter at petite phd where can we find you maggie at maggie 162 and you linda at linda servage you can also find the show on twitter at a pot of their own you can email the show aa dot a pot of their own at gmail.com please send us emails we love to hear from you Um, And you can subscribe to this podcast on uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate and review the show. It really helps other people find it. Um, The original music for this podcast is by Bunga. Let's go Mets. And don't forget, there is no time.